Hey everyone, and I am talking to you. This is going to be such an amazing show, one that's going to have you not just thinking about your future, but thinking about your past and even further behind than just your past. So we're talking with an amazing woman. Her name is Dr. Amy Robbins. She is a clinical psychologist for almost 20 years, but most importantly, Dr. Amy has experience in both traditional psychotherapy and spiritual intuition. You guys are starting to see the connection here. She encourages you to awaken, awaken to and live your essence, but she does it with the wisdom of death in an unexpectedly positive way. She can help you understand the importance of your emotional health and connect those you know, kind of those dots that lead you to an actual more meaningful life, not one of confusion. Does that sound like this is where we need to go? And trust me, you know, we vet all of these people. This is going to be so good. So through her podcast, Life, Death, and the Space Between, she provides an ever-growing library of resources to explore the complex synergy between the psychological and spiritual. And that empowers you to know your true self, which, you know what, it is a quest, isn't it? But if you can just be open to this conversation, wow, so much is gonna come from it. You're listening to The Relaunch Podcast, and I'm your host, Hilary DeCesar, best-selling author, speaker, and transformational coach widely recognized in the worlds of neuropsychology and business launches, which cultivated the one and only 3HQ method, helping midlife women, yep, that's me too, rebuild a life of purpose, possibility, and inspiring business ventures. Each week, We'll be diving into the stories that brought upon the most inspirational relaunches while sharing the methods and the secrets that they learned along the way so that you too can have not just an ordinary relaunch, but an extraordinary relaunch. Hey, Dr. Amy, so good to have you on the show. Thanks, Hillary. So excited to be here finally. We've gone back and forth. I know, we that. really have. But we but we first met, I think it was, you know, over six months ago, and we were just like, oh my God. I mean, there were so many different ways that we could take this. And I was really fascinated. I have a psychology degree. I'm so like geeking out on every way, shape, or form what we're going to talk about today. But your journey is something that is very untraditional to the profession that you're in. And I'd love to have people understand how you're even connected and how you have connected the dots with death and life and and really looking at transformative type of approaches to therapy. It's incredible. So let's start with your specific relaunch journey here. Yeah. So while, first of all, thank you. I'm so excited to be here today and to talk with you and your audience about this topic that I'm so passionate about. So when I was 18 years old, I lost my aunt. She had juvenile onset diabetes. She was waiting for a kidney and pancreas transplant. And while she was waiting for the transplant, they needed to make sure that her heart would be strong enough to withstand a transplant or her, her whole body would be strong enough they realized that her heart was not going to be strong enough to withstand the transplant. So they went in to do heart surgery and she ended up dying on the table. She was 48 years old at the time. She had two young kids in college and high school age. And I was a freshman in college and it was really the first super close, what I call out of order death, right? She was young. She had young kids. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't make sense. No. And at the time, my first experience in grief, like true profound grief and seeing those around me, my mom, who was 
I mean, they were sisters and my aunt was really like a second mother to me. So to see the depths of that pain and to witness your parent experiencing the depth of that pain and also to only be home for a very short time and then go back to my life at college. I came home just for the weekend. I'm Jewish. We had a shiva, came in for the funeral, had the shiva and went right back to school. And so my own grief process was stunted in a way because I went back to my life, lived my life, but then started to develop tremendous anxiety around how my life was, how my life was similar to hers. And was I going to end up with a similar fate? She was the oldest of three children. I was the oldest of three children. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So you're saying it was similar from, and I'm glad that you're saying this, it was similar from the fact that you were the oldest any other similarities because to have anxiety about it, you know, that's a anxiety is a terrible thing because it just keeps you on edge at all points. But what else did you feel was this connection with your aunt? Yeah. So she had, again, I was 18. So I was still development developing at the time, but um, she had this incredible life that she had lived. She, her husband was a trader, very well off, had sort of the dream life that you would, you would want on paper, beautiful home, two kids, a beautiful golden retriever, beautiful (laughs) Beautiful life on paper, on paper, on paper. And then things started to fall apart for her. Her marriage fell apart. She went through a divorce, ended up needing to go back to work because she didn't have a degree in which she was supporting herself. So she had to go back to work. She was working at a travel agency because of her diabetes. It was a difficult, the the condi- they weren't like unfavorable conditions. It wasn't like she went back to work in a factory, but, but because of issues related to diabetes, like circulation and things like that, and it not being the right temperature in the place, her extremities, she started to have issues with her extremities and it just sort of spiraled from there. Did, and she, I have, think, did she have diabetes when she was still with her husband or did she develop oh yeah. that after? So no, she it was juvenile it, onset. Oh, juvenile. Okay. So it, it had was, been with her pretty much, you know, as long as you as an 18 year old could remember. Right. And she had what had happened. And this is an important part of the story. My grandfather's a pediatrician, was a pediatrician. And then those and that day when you had tonsils, you radiated tonsils and that when you had really tonsillitis multiple times. So they had radiated her tonsils, which he believes and many doctors did. She developed measles as a result of that and then an autoimmune disorder. And they think that that's what led to the onset of the diabetes. So there there was this chain of events, and you can imagine as a pediatrician having your child be ill, the meaning that that might, might have in terms of what you could have done differently and one's feelings of guilt around that, you know, knowing what we knew, what they knew then versus what we know now, obviously that's not a treatment for tonsils um, at this point. And so it was just, and, and I really kind of hooked into this notion of, I need to be able to support myself. That is essential to my future existence. Like that is what I sort of extrapolated from this, this whole experience was I had to be able to stand on my two feet and I was never going to find myself in a position where she found herself, which was taking whatever she could to sustain herself and her family and Mm. at the expense of her health. Mm. which was ultimately what really happened. And I I, am sure the women listening out there really can appreciate this because I think that the generation, especially around your generation, my generation, we grew up with that concept of like, you know, I'm I'm not going to count on anyone. I'm going to count on myself, Mm -hmm. you know, because we did, we see, we saw our moms, we saw aunts, we saw other family members friends, parents that were just like, as women, mm -mm, not going to do that. So we really do develop these, like these belief systems when we're really young that like, uh, uh, that's not going to be me. So you're going through this and you're like, I'm not going to end up in a travel agency where my extremities are cold and I'm going to make sure that I can support myself. Yep. And take care of my physical health, whatever that looks like. And a lot of this too, is sort of looking back now knowing and putting all these pieces together in terms of 
how they showed up for me. Right. And I think what ended up happening was my senior year in college, when I was looking for jobs, I started having these intense panic attacks because I was getting rejected at rejection letter after rejection letter after rejection letter and thinking, oh, this is, this is a path to her demise to my demise, which was her demise. Like I had what did these made panic, these connections. What did these panic attacks look like? I just remember intense heart palpitations, yeah. sweaty palms, difficulty breathing, falling to the floor. I mean, I could tell you exactly where I was when it happened. The letter I opened, like all of those pieces, feeling like this out of body experience, tingling, mm you know, a very physical experience. And I was a psych major in undergrad as well. So I sort of had an idea of what was happening, but certainly mental health then is not what it is now. Right. So it wasn't like I was, I wasn't going to tell anybody where now I feel like you'd be like, oh, I think I might be having a panic attack. And, mm -hmm. you know, 20 people would be like, oh, here's what you do. Like then it wasn't spoken about. And so I really, kept it inside and the anxiety increased over time. I ended up coming back. I got a job selling radio airtime, which was not at all what I wanted to do. Was miserable, hated it, quit, went back to waiting tables. So here I had a degree from the University of Michigan and I was waiting tables. And not that there's anything wrong with waiting tables. It's actually a wonderful way to make a living and to understand people. I think there's no better no doubt. to understand. You got to have a tremendous amount of patience mm -hmm. to be in that profession. Mm -hmm. And it taught me so much and I'm incredibly grateful. Right. And I've, I feel like everybody should do it at some point in their life. Cause it really gives you a sense of the cross section of humanity. And, and then really took a deep dive psychologically into what was happening for me, did a lot of grief work around the loss of my aunt, a lot of work on myself, my own anxiety, but the anxiety was still there and it wasn't going away. I ended up going back to grad school, figuring okay, out- Okay, before Dr. Amy, before you yeah. move on, because I think a lot of people here work on myself, right? I did a lot of grief work. Mm -hmm. I did a lot of work on myself. And for some, it's like, what the heck does that even mean? What does it mean that you did grief work and you did a lot of work on yourself? What were you actually doing? I was in therapy and mm -hmm. I was feeling it, mm. all of it. Mm. So allowing yourself to really go there. The sadness, yeah. the shame, yeah. the embarrassment, you know, the, the sadness around her death, the shame of where I was and where I thought I should be in my life, Yeah, the disappointment in myself in that same vein like how how was this where I was I'm supposed to be somewhere different than where I am uh listen to what listen to what you just said which I think is I mean so many of us myself included we beat ourselves up because we think we're supposed to be at a certain place and we haven't gotten there. We haven't arrived. And so we have the sense of disappointment. We have the sense of feeling sad. We're embarrassed that, you know, we're not as far along. We don't have this. We don't have that. And uh, I know that was one major reason that um, I created the 3HQ framework. And I used it with clients and I, I leaned into it because for so long, I just felt like there's just something so missing. What is it? And I kept thinking it was the, you know, the outward, like, oh my God, happiness. It's like, this is the image of happiness, right? Mm -hmm. And even as you said, on paper, that really resonated with me. Right. It's that on paper, it's that the the visual, but yet the internal feelings, which you're really hitting on, the, the heart, right? In the 3HQ, it's that heart space, the emotional blocks, the emotional traumas, all of these things, as you described that working on myself that you had to uncover and go there of feeling a sadness, disappointment, embarrassment, the list goes on and on with those self-sabotaging words. Yeah, it, it's tough. So how long did you actually, how long did you do this? And then what happened? How long did I dig in? Yeah, I'm still digging. <laughs> Isn't that the truth, girl? My gosh, I feel it too. Yes. I'm still, I'm digging my way out right now. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Yep. 
But it is a, it's a lifetime. It's a lifetime journey. It is a lifetime journey. And I think that's really important for people to know and to understand is that the, the journey of knowing yourself, which I believe is the most spiritual journey you can be on, is, is just that. It's knowing yourself. It's digging into those painful feelings that we all experience because we're all human and there's no avoiding it. Mm-hmm. But it's when you can you can hold that, you can hold those painful feelings, but also those joyous feelings simultaneously, that that's where I believe we can really live. And mm-hmm. you have to be able to, what people say, do the work, right? Get to that, t- to be able to feel those feelings, to speak them, to say, I'm so ashamed of where I am right now. I'm so embarrassed to be waiting tables and have someone say to me, is this all you do? (laughs) And, and feeling like, well, where did you go to college? And I'd say university of Michigan. And they'd look at me and that shame was so profound for me. And I had to be able to work through that in order to move into a place of really being my true authentic version of myself. Mm. So when you started to dig deep and did you find that as you went deeper, you became more shameful, you became more disappointed, like, oh God, there's just so much here. Or did you really feel like, you know what, with every step you were uncovering a little bit more and giving yourself a little grace along the way? Because I know that there's two philosophies. Some people are like, oh God, it was so intense. It made me feel like, you know, I had to reach that rock bottom place. And others are like, you know what? I was able to just turn it around right then and there and I didn't have to go any deeper. What about you? I think that again, like you're always kind of, if you're on a lifelong journey like this, you're always finding these bits and pieces that will pop their heads up forever. Mm-hmm. You know, and for me, certainly the shame, I don't, that's not something I'm, very consciously aware feeling. And I don't think it's unconsciously there for me anymore. But again, it was a process over time of really allowing myself to feel it, letting it percolate, being comfortable sitting with that, realizing that it wasn't going to overwhelm me. It wasn't going to take, you know, dig its claws in and never let go. But then in time it would release, it would soften. And that's what I see with my patients too. It's like when you're sitting with someone in the depth of whatever feeling they have, eventually that feeling softens. It's so true. Well, we do have to take a quick break, but when we come back, I love that you, you know, we often hear about start with the end in mind, but what you do is you start with the end, end, end in mind, like even Mm -hmm. further back, right? The other side. And so I want to understand from you when we come back, how did that actually happen? What was the turning point where you're like, wait, I'm going to go there. I don't want to go there, but I'm going to go there. So when we come back, we're going to go there. This episode is brought to you by my very own Labor of Love, my most recent book, Relaunch. This book is a collection of my stories, other stories, and is a motivational guide to living a new 3HQ lifestyle, sparking your heart to ignite your life. It's available for purchase via Amazon. Get ready to try on the 3HQ method that I've been using for years throughout my entire life, reaching the next level in all areas, both professionally and personally. Get your copy today at www.therelaunchbook.com. Welcome back, everyone. I am here with Dr. Amy Robbins, and we are about to cross over. Yes, we are now going. We are keeping into start with the end in mind, but we're not talking about the future. We are going to be talking about the past even further than when you entered onto this planet and how this all ties in and how you can actually leverage the concept around death and around life 
and around death again. So Dr. Amy, thank you so much for being here. And before we um, took a quick break, we were talking about your experience, your aunt passing over, not being able to sustain the surgery. And then you really couldn't continue in the field that you thought you were gonna be doing. You end up taking a a server job and next thing you know, you're really reevaluating life. You're reevaluating panic attacks that you had, the traumas that you've had. And then how did, how, what happened to you that really impacted, wow, I'm actually going to go down this path now. I didn't have a choice. <laughs> the path showed up for me. So I was in, so I decided to go back to grad school for clinical psychology. And I was in grad school at the time. And my cousin, my aunt's son was getting married. And I had a visit. My dead aunt showed up at my bedside with messages for me that and and really not messages for me, messages through me for my mother and my uncle. And the first image that I saw, and I see these in images, and it came to me in the sleep state between when you come out of a deep sleep and you're, but you're not yet fully awake or you've fallen back to sleep because that's when our theta waves are in full action. It's the same as a meditative state. And so some people would say it is a dream. I will not call it that anymore. It was clearly a visit. It felt very different than a dream. And she came to me. And in that, I saw my mom standing at her kitchen sink in the house where I grew up. And she said, tell your mom, I will be there. She doesn't need to be upset that I'm not going to be at the wedding. And then she went on to show me my uncle pushing my cousin in a stroller. He was young at the time and said, make sure and tell your uncle, her brother, that I hear him when he talks to me, when he's outside pushing the stroller or going for a walk, I hear him. And I woke up and I said to my, I turned to my husband and my dog was barking at the time, which was so fascinating too, because I think animals can sense things. And I looked at him and I said, aunt Linda was just here. And he said, what? And I said, she was just here. And he does not, did, did not believe in this at the time. He's come around to it, given kind of a series of events that have since happened. So, so let me go back. You have this image, and I think a lot of people are fascinated by what, what do these images look like? Are they lights? Are they actual images of the person, like your aunt? How did she come to you? She, it was, it was like a movie. It's like watching a movie. And she was very clear, like how I saw her was very clear. And she she looked like she for me, she looked like she had looked to me in life, but healthier. She actually looked very healthy, whereas in life, she never really looked healthy to me. She always kind of looked sickly, but her skin looked really beautiful and luminous. Mm. Uh, and she just she looked like a healthier version of herself. Mm. And I have now since realized I actually had a visit before this visit that I didn't know was a visit, but it was in which she had came, she came to me and said, I'm, I'm okay. I'm healthy. Let everybody know I'm healing and everybody can be okay knowing that I'm healing. Now at that time, I, I think I was in college when that happened and I thought it was a dream. So, but you did mention, you said it felt different this time than a dream. What is that difference? The difference is that it is as real to me today as it was when I had it. It is still as clear to me today. And I think when when we have when I have dreams, certainly, I often don't remember my dreams. I remember pieces of dreams. They're an amalgam of life. You know, the my aunt is not really my aunt. She's actually my teacher and my mom isn't my mom. She's a combination of two people. It it just didn't feel linear and dreams don't feel linear. And this felt very linear with very clear messages. There was no interpretation needed around what was the symbolism behind that. It was like, tell your mom this information. And I did. I called my mom that morning. I said, I, I had this weird dream because that's all I knew at the time. That was my language around it. And Aunt Linda came to me and she told me, don't be upset 
you don't need to cry. She's going to be at the wedding. My mom started crying. She said she was standing at her kitchen sink the night before talking to Linda saying, I can't believe you're not going to be at the wedding. (laughs) So powerful that happened. Then I called my uncle, who's an orthopedic surgeon who believes in none of this, right? The material world is all it's, it's what we can see. There's nothing more. And I shared with him the message. And he said, that's when I talked to her. I talk to her when I'm out walking or running and I can't believe that she actually is telling you she can hear me. (laughs) You know, what's so great when you said orthopedic surgeon, my dad was an orthopedic surgeon. My grandfather was an orthopedic surgeon. Mm. That's what I thought I was going to be when I went into college and turned from that to psychology. And as you're saying this, it's really interesting because in the United States, we're really taught to not believe in afterlife, to really, we don't talk about it. We, for many people, the first time that they ever talk about it as a family is when the person's gone, right? Gone. And then at that point you have maybe a memorial, you have a, a ceremony or something. Sometimes you don't. I know with my grandparents who were killed in car crashes, a car crash, we didn't, we never addressed it. But it's really fascinating. What do you think with with all of the research and studies you've done, what is it about not wanting to really talk about it or feel like, oh, it's kind of the, the crazier side, it's the woo side of death, of being able to communicate with somebody who has crossed over? What do you think is, what's going on there? Well, it's interesting because one, it's very Western to not talk about death. Mm-hmm. In Eastern cultures, they're much more comfortable talking about death. Reincarnation. They celebrate, it. They they celebrate, celebrate it. it, right? They believe in reincarnation. They believe in the afterlife. And I think in Western culture, we have veered very far away from death to the point that everything we do is an avoidance of the fact that we're going to die. And so there's that piece psychologically, and I understand it. I mean, it's hard to live in a place where you're where you're constantly thinking about the possibility of dying. And I think it enhances how you live when you can have a contemplative death practice that does allow you to ponder every once in a while. Maybe it's every day. For me, I think about it every day. You know what? I am not going to live in this physical body forever. But I also believe my soul lives on. And that my soul is here to experience life from a human perspective and that my soul is here to grow through obstacles that are put in my path. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about starting with the end in mind, and I think this is what, what you're referring to, I think about the end of my physical life at this time. And I think about my soul journey over the course of what's been what it took to get here and where it's going after here. And how am I continuing to grow my soul to what I believe is the ultimate kind of soul growth, which is full love, kindness, giving, charity, Mm. what some would call like a Christ consciousness or a Buddha consciousness. Now I'm nowhere near there. I'm still working on it, which goes back to what we talked about in the first part of this segment is just that working on yourself and knowing the different aspects of what some would say is the shadow part of yourself, the darker part of ourselves that we don't love to to take a look at and see, but that the two to me really can walk beautifully hand in hand and can really put into perspective a life that can be so meaningful and, and Mm. purpose driven because you're looking at it from both the soul perspective, but also the physical perspective of this life. Dr. Amy, this is so powerful because before my mom died a few years ago and then my dad died last year, and yes, I've just said that my grandparents when I was 12 died in a terrible car crash and we've had suicides in our family, but really I had never thought, contemplated my own mortality. I assumed I'd live like every other woman in my family into early 100s. And it was really fascinating. I um, was blessed with people that came into my life 
about four years prior to my mom passing. And it, it got me ready, got me ready for her. Even when I didn't know it, things were working to help me process, to help me understand it as much as you can, the death mm -hmm. process. But one thing I'd like, because you have um, such a wealth of knowledge around this, is when, how, and I highly encourage everyone that's listening to take the step of understanding and thinking about that you're not going to be here and that there is an end point to this all. Because when you can do that, it's a great, it almost takes a lot of the pressure off because it's like, you know, you, you are going to be gone. You're not going to be able to take things with you and appreciating the daily things that are happening in your life become more powerful, more important, more, um, you know, I love the book, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. And when you start to really think about it and you have people passing, it really puts it into perspective. But there's a lot of people, and God love you all out there, that haven't had somebody close pass away and are listening and trying to contemplate. And we run, right? We, we, mm -hmm. we run away from the thought of our mortality because it is scary. What do you do in terms of helping people kind of take that next step in <clears throat> understanding you got to start with the end in mind? I think, you know, facing the fears around it is really important. So going deep with people and asking the question, what are you afraid of? What is the, where is the fear here? Sometimes the fear is actually around not having lived a, a meaningful life, which is interesting. That's Sometimes, really interesting. Right. So the thing that's holding us, the thing that we want most is also the thing that's holding us the most back, is holding us back. And I think also just exploring people's exposure to death. You know, if you've never lost someone close to you, have you lost a pet? Have you lost a fish? Have you lost, have you lost a relationship? Loss doesn't have to be about, death doesn't have to be about death of a physical person. Death finds us in all kinds of different ways. And I think even as you talk about relaunching, a part of when someone relaunches is dying. And there has to be a process of grieving around whatever is dying. You know, I have three beautiful kids, but when I decided there were going to be no more, that was a loss. It was a loss of that phase of my life. I feel like every day is a loss of a day of my life that I'm, you know, my kids are getting older. I'm really seeing now how quickly that time goes, that perspective shift for me that I didn't have when they were little. And I was like, oh my gosh, can I just please get, how am I going to get through the day, let alone the week? And now I'm like, can the time stop? Because and it's going a lot faster, isn't it? So much faster. And it's, it's those perspective shifts that I think, maybe not thinking about death, the, the death of a physical experience, like body, but the death in your life that's happening daily, weekly, monthly, a new job is a death, right? Like you found, you lost a job, but you found a job. There's grief in all of this. And That's when we great can- great way to put it. And mm. when we can embrace those, those experiences and really feel all the feelings around them, then death isn't so scary because it's just a transition. It's a transformation. It's We're a great way to say it. And your body is constantly, I mean, your skin is sloughing off, it's dying, it's leaving you, it's new cells. I mean, it's so true when you put it in perspective and I'm looking at, you know, right now outside my window, it's pouring rain and I'm seeing the new, um, you know, blooms coming out, right? That's where you start to think about, you know, with the death of the plants around here and then the the life that's coming and the birds and all these great things that are happening. I know people are fascinated though. I want to go back to you you've mentioned in the past, you know, channeling versus understanding of, you know, having conversations with, you know, your aunt or a one-way conversation. What was it? What is channeling to you? Are you a channeler? And 
has it become more intense now that you've been willing to accept that experience that your aunt came to you? So I don't think of myself as a channeler. Like I think, you know, channelers, and there's some excellent ones. Paul Selig is one. Lee Harris is a channeler. Both of them have been on my podcast and have talked about their experience. That is literally like their, their, the essence, their soul kind of moves out of the way for another energy to come in and communicate messages. And I don't actively do that. Sometimes in meditations, I get messages that feel very much not of my mind. And so I guess you could call that channeling. I'm not really like hooked on what exactly it was with my aunt. And when I get visits and, and now it ebbs and flows. And that's really why I'm, I don't, I'm not a practicing medium is I don't feel like I am as skilled and adept as some people are. And there are some amazing mediums out there that are, it, it, it clearly is the gift that they were here to bring to the world. I don't believe that's me. And I think, I think mediumship is, can be such an incredibly useful healing tool in someone's grief journey that I want when someone has the experience of sitting with a medium and their loved one coming through, that it feels profound in that way. And I didn't feel like that could be the experience that I was giving all the time to people. And that but was- mediums channel. Um, I don't know if they would say, I mean, channelers you- are channelers. So, okay. They receive information through their clairs, clairvoyance, okay. clairaudience, clairsentience, clairgustience, and Claire, what's the, Could the you say cognizant? Are? Claire Cognizance. Thank you. That's the easiest yeah. one yeah. for me. For me. <laughs> that's the one yes. I always go. That's my go-to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. And for me too. Okay. But hold on. So before we go into the next thing, we got to take a quick break. And I really want people to understand the difference between all these things that are coming up in society right now about the difference between medium and channels and psychics and some of these other, you know, words, and most importantly, intuition, right? Because that we all have innately within ourselves. So when we come Mm -hmm. back, we're going to hear more from Dr. Amy around harnessing your intuition that is inside of you right now. This episode is brought to you by my very own Labor of Love, my most recent book, Relaunch. This book is a collection of my stories, other stories, and is a motivational guide to living a new 3HQ lifestyle, sparking your heart to ignite your life. It's available for purchase via Amazon. Get ready to try on the 3HQ method that I've been using for years throughout my entire life, reaching the next level in all areas, both professionally and personally. Get your copy today at www.therelaunchbook.com. We are back with Dr. Amy Robbins. I told you this was juicy. It's only going to get even more so. So before we went on a break, we were talking about, again, this concept of channeling. We were talking about you know, mediums, we were talking about, you know, I would want to throw in psychics and the differences there, Dr. Amy. And I know that you have had an opportunity to talk to not, and is it talk or do you hear? I don't know if it's a two-way conversation you're having with your aunt. Is it two-way or is this a one-way? You're listening. What do you It's more I'm seeing. You're seeing, but you're hearing her relay messages. Yes. I love that. Yes, but (laughs) it it becomes like more difficult to describe because it's not in the way that we think of it using our five senses. Okay. That makes a lot of psychic senses versus the physical senses. Okay. So let's talk about that because we've now talked about channeling. We've talked about median. We've talked about, um, you know, kind of this hearing or, or having that feeling, but what, what about psychics? What, what is the difference between all of these? So 
A psychic is someone who says they have the ability to see the future, to read the future. Um, I am sort of not so I hope I don't get this wrong. All I'm going to screw this up. I feel like not (laughs) all psychics are mediums, but all mediums have psychic abilities. Okay. So everyone uh, out there that wants to find out more about that, go to chat GPT and just put it in there. (laughs) Right, right, right. Because there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. And I think the difference is mediums often tap, use their clairs to tap into dead loved ones, loved ones who've crossed over. Channelers literally physically start to embody the energy. That's what I was talking about before of the entity in which they're relaying the information. Got it. Okay. So with that said, let's talk about intuition. And and by the way, how many more times has your aunt come to visit and have other uh, relatives visited you? So several relatives, and then it was the patient's dead loved ones that started coming. Got it. And that's when it really like catapulted me into this space of, okay, let me explore this. Let me understand this. Let me practice. I trained with a medium. I did what I called my medium internship where I brought people in and did readings for them and invited their loved ones in and really tried to learn the skill of connecting with the other side. So it was very purposeful Mm -hmm. versus just an interruption in my yoga class, which was starting to feel a little bit intrusive, especially when I- so funny they were were starting to drop in. Because I started to, (laughs) you were asking me earlier, like, has it gotten stronger? Because once you start to open those channels up, any things will start to come in. And that's where I want to caution people because I think people really think, oh, that's great. Like, let me open up. You Mm. wouldn't just like open up your doors of your house to anybody and say, come on in. (laughs) You know, you, you don't, you don't, this is the same thing. You don't want to be opening up your Claire's, your channel, but even though it's, not in the same way we're talking about channeling, but you don't want to sort of open up what I think about is like the crown chakra, where for me, lots of information comes in through the crown, through the third eye. You don't want to be opening up those spaces haphazardly without really knowing what you're doing and working to protect yourself from unknown entities that could be out there. I know this is probably getting a little bit out there for people. But it's interesting because you have degrees like you had, you know, you studied psychology, psychotherapy. I mean, you're, you're a doctor and yet you're merging these two together. That's what I think is so fascinating because, you know, it's the Western medicine. And then the, as you say, the spirituality of this, all the universe, the, what, you know, what else is out there. And so when we think about, and I love that you said, you know, you don't open the door to everybody. Exactly. Now, intuition, intuition, um, I, I, I love this concept that, you know, when you're at your higher self, we talk 3HQ, the higher self, and you allow your intuitive, like that voice, the experiences that you've had to come in either as a sense of feeling, a gut, a How message, a you might message. hear something, you might hear it. How do you you really define it differently than some of these other, other, what do you call medianship or channeling? What do you, what is that? A spiritual tool, a process? I don't, yeah. I mean, how how do you separate intuition? It's like a practice. Yeah. So how do you separate intuition, which people are like, I'm definitely, you know, maybe they're thinking I'm not a channeler. I'm not psychic. I'm not, but everybody is intuitive. It's how we use it. Right. How we harness it. It's how we grow it, develop it. That becomes so incredible. So I think that like anything, it's a practice, right? Like I went to school for psychology and I've taken a lot of classes with different mediums and, um, you know, intuitives and Reiki healers and try to understand, okay, what is this world? 
And what I can say to people is that you have to practice just like anything to start to recognize subtle shifts in energy and vibration. And that's what it is. It's these subtle shifts. And if you're a meditator, you can probably start to understand what I'm talking about because you'll start to notice in meditation when you're shifting from being very much in your physical body and your mind to maybe being feeling outside of your physical body. And it's hard for me to sit here and say to you, this is exactly what it is, but you know, when you feel it, that you're there. Right. And that's the same thing with intuition, with clear cognizance. It's like, you just know in that instant, and it's literally an instant. Oh, that is a message from my higher self. Yeah. And it's just that clear. And then when you start think, overthinking it, you've moved out of intuition and into thought. <laughs> but in that yeah. moment, mm-hmm. it is distinctly different. And it is in your intuitive gut hits that you're getting. And I think you can, you can do that through meditation. You can do that through being in nature. You can do that through journaling or automatic writing. I mean, I happen to have this spiritually transformative experience that opened me up. That's one way of getting there, but there are other ways. There's psychedelic trips, which people start to open up these Mm -hmm. um, experiences, these channels. There's meditation retreats, there's breath work, there's sound healing, any of these things that you can and, open up through. I mean, I, I, I look at what happened to me having a near-death experience when I was two, when I crossed over and I pushed, I pushed it away. I'm like, uh-uh. Anytime I like kind of had that sense of woo growing up with, as I said, my dad, the doctor, I was like, uh-uh, not going there, not going right. there until I finally was like, okay, I really do have a very heightened level, whether it's, you know, intuition, psychic ability. I I get it when I'm open to it, when I'm willing. And I do this with my one-on-one clients. But then sometimes, as you're saying, I can't have the door open all the time because it would kind of like freak me out. But I do really like when I'm in that zone, oh, it's, it's really incredible for the person I'm, I'm helping. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right. Because the information just comes in so clearly and, and you can also ask for it. Like, even as you were talking to me, I was like, okay, how am I going to describe this? Help me. Mm-hmm. All right. There it is. And it was like, it's about the vibration. It's about the subtle energy shifts. Yeah. So I'm tapping into that higher knowing that's giving me the information to help others learn and grow. So it's, and the, and the fluidity of that movement, again, comes, comes with practice. No one so ever I likes want, to you know, really the, the, work at it. No. And, and practice, as you say, it is, it, it does take work. It's a muscle. It's a, you know, going to the gym and intuition. You know, I always like to say, start out with just something super small, like, Hey, I want to hear from this person, like, just, you know, put it out there. Like, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to run into somebody in the next 24 hours that I haven't seen in four. I mean, it's crazy stuff, but you can start to build right. on it. You can right? start to play with it for sure. And then you can really start to play with it around right. your business. That's where I think it becomes like, oh my gosh, you know, people talk about manifestation and when you add into your tool belt around work, business, taking, not just thinking about, you know, in the 3HQ, just the head and the steps, but you start to put in some of these other, you know, that are the non-distinguishable, they're kind of the invisible tools that we have. Mm-hmm. That's, that's when you see peak performance go through the roof. Well, and when we think about manifestation, I think about it more as co-creation because manifestation doesn't just happen because you sat and envisioned something happening. You envisioned it happening and then you took the actions to make that happen. So you co-created that with the universe to make it happen. Now you envisioned it, but just if you sat on your couch and just envisioned it, it's nothing's going to happen. hundred percent. It's not going to. No, and it's getting before you. It's getting so crystal clear as well. Like the clearer you can be, 
we have, you know, our brain is so powerful, right? It's like that whole reticular activation system and you start to see a car that you really want and then you see it all over the place. Right. Well, the same thing happens when you put out a goal and you're so clear around it that you literally start to see things pop up to further let you know that, yeah, this is actually going to happen. And it's, mm -hmm. it's incredible. But here we go. We are starting to wind down. And what I would love to have people um, be able to do is reach out to you, follow you, hear more about this. This was literally the tip of the iceberg. There is so much. I know. So I feel like death. we could talk for... Oh, God. I feel like I'm just getting started. This should be a part one, part two. I could really go. I could really talk about some crazy crazies. Well, I can go way out there. And I do at times on my podcast. Yeah. So, well, so how can people find you? So I'm mostly on Instagram at Dr. Amy Robbins is my handle. Um, you can listen to my podcast anywhere that you can find podcasts. It's life, death, and the space between. And I explore everything from near-death experiences, mediumship experiences, time shifts, channeling, what else? Just how to live better lives, meditation. We go way far and talk about like fifth-dimensional beings that might be visiting us. Um, so I, I play with all ideas, and I'm super curious. And my website, dramyrobbins.com, are probably the three best places to find me. Well, and it's so great because for those that are listening, you know, if there's any kind of like you have a stirring interest, like I don't understand what they're talking about, but hmm, maybe there's something more to be thinking about, to be tapping into, definitely go check out Dr. Amy Robbins. And we will definitely have it in the show notes access. But again, I, you know, what you've shared is so important. It's so impactful. And why limit ourselves to one area? Why just have steps and procedures and systems when you can leverage universal laws, you can leverage what's deep within you. And it all starts with just being quiet, like you said, with meditation or whenever you are in, in nature. I love it. So at this point, Dr. Amy, thank you for being here. It thank you for having me. lit us all up. And everyone, if you haven't hit subscribe on this podcast, please do it right now. We don't want you to miss any future episodes. And for those that need a little bit more, definitely Get involved with Amy and we will see you again next week where I'm actually going to go deeper into AI and how you can leverage it. Take care, everyone. You've just heard another episode of the Relaunch Podcast. If something shared in this episode resonated with you, please head over to iTunes right now and leave us a five-star review. And share this episode with others to inspire them to take the small steps that lead to a life full of purpose and possibility. And remember, you can have immediate access to the show notes and any giveaways at therelaunchco.com backslash podcast. Until next week, now is your time to relaunch your transition into a transformation.